Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Thank you for joining us today for successful nonprofit technology change management. My name is Johan Hammerstrom. I'm the CEO of Community IT. We're very pleased to be presenting with our information strategy partner, Build Consulting. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks, Johan. And my name is Peter Gross. Um, we're first going to talk about why, why technology projects often fail. We're then going to talk about a simple approach that we have that can help improve your ch chances of success. And then we'll walk through a case example and then take questions at the end. At Build Consulting, we have two core beliefs that really motivate us both to do this work and to approach it the way we do. The first is our belief that technology can empower organizations both to work more effectively themselves and to help change the world. But the second motivating core belief is that the technology fails so often because we treat it like a baseball field in Iowa. We think if we just build the technology, people are going to come and use it. But they often don't because the success with technology requires a strong and a flexible organization that can move forward at the same time that the organization is moving forward. The fact that they don't just come when you build it is perfectly captured in our favorite formula the abbreviation of which is OO plus NT equals EOO. If you take an old organization and you just add new technology to it, you're likely to just have an expensive old organization. The key is to find the right things to add to the formula that will make the outcome a transformed organization because that is critical to your success. We believe that a truly effective approach to transformation using technology starts with a focus on leadership and governance. It allows us to ground our technology strategy in the strategies and the mission of the organization and to ensure buy-in and support from the highest levels of the organization. From that strong foundation, we can then make good decisions about what kind of operations we put in place to manage that technology, design really solid, effective processes, organize our data well. Only then, are we able to make choices and investments in technology that can truly bear fruit? Technology can be the accelerator, but it can't be the driver of the transformation. Ultimately, we do believe if you pair technology with transforming your organization, you have the opportunity to make the world better. A good deal of the failure rate associated with technology projects and probably projects in general, it's related to the fact that we simply don't do a good job of anticipating the effect of these projects on the people that they're supposed to help, on the people affected. When these impacts then hit them, we lose their hearts, we lose their minds, we lose their eyeballs. It disrupts our results. We don't get the return on investment that we're hoping for. So just to give you a couple of examples of, of what we've heard over the years of manifestations of this problem. Frequently in fundraising, we hear stories of folks that moved into a cloud-based solution for something like fundraising, could be other ones as well, and the folks that are using it are still unhappy. Because it turns out that actually the technology wasn't the problem. 
The problem was that leadership didn't set clear expectations and guidelines for its use, and that no fundraisers, no frontline fundraisers were involved in the implementation. We ended up implementing it incorrectly. We see this story repeated over and over, and again, not just for fundraising, but for membership, case management, program management events, pretty much anything you could think of. This is actually a recent story we heard from a client um, where they implemented a new credit card reconciliation tool for expenses and receipts uh, in the cloud, mobile enabled. They expected everyone would be thrilled because it was a kind of a nice looking interface. It was easy to use. It was mobile. But because they didn't actually involve end users in that project, they didn't realize that this whole process actually adds a bunch of work to their plate. So rather than getting a time savings and excitement, they actually got time added and a great deal of frustration. The reason these problems happened is because we didn't critically examine the impacts of that proposed change. And we made decisions that jeopardized our ability to get a return on investment. So the answer to a lot of these challenges lies in the field of organizational change management. It's a pretty academic sounding term, but it's actually pretty simple when it gets boiled down. We like the definition by ProSci. ProSci is a leading research and consulting company specifically focused on change management. It's all that they do. And the core of that definition is that change management guides how we prepare, equip, and support individuals to successfully adopt change. You'll notice it doesn't say guides how we make everybody on the project happy. It's a frequent misinterpretation of change management that it's about making sure that everyone is happy with the change that's happening. It's not. It's about making everybody ready for that change and hopefully in the process, making some of the people happy. So when do you need to use change management techniques? Here's the test that I'll give you. If your technology change requires people to adjust their behavior in order to achieve your goals, you need change management. I'm gonna read it again. If your technology change requires people to adjust their behavior in order to achieve your goals, change management is something you need to invest some time in. The good news is, and you'll see there's tons of research, books, theories, et cetera, out in, the, out in the change management and consulting communities. It can get awfully complicated. What we've done is actually tried to simplify it into three steps to get people started down this road. And these are the three steps, defining the change, identifying the impacts from that change, and then preparing for those impacts. This framework works regardless of whether you're talking about a really small change, like a minor process tweak or adding some additional fields, uh, et cetera, all the way up to a large train change um, with, say, a huge CRM system implementation or financial system implementation. So a little more detail on what happens in each of these phases. This first one, defining the change, I can't overemphasize how important defining your change is. We see so often working with our clients, people have plowed ahead with the change and aren't really even clear all the components of that change. So our advice to you in defining the change is to write it down and be specific as you can, share it with stakeholders and leaders, revise it, share it again, and ultimately get to final agreement. That final agreement is about two things. The first is ensuring that decision makers and key stakeholders agree that this is in fact the right change. The second for everyone in the organization is to ensure that they're clear that the change is coming. 
That doesn't mean everyone agrees to it, but at least everyone's clear on what's coming down the road. The second step is about identifying the impacts of that change. And for those of you familiar with stakeholder analysis, this contains stakeholder analysis within this step. The key is to identify the individuals and the groups that are impacted by the change, determine how they're impacted, and how big that impact is. Because once you've identified what those impacts are, then you can start to leverage certain strategies to ensure that we become more prepared for the change. And there's th three of those strategies listed here, which we talk about. First is about activating leadership, which basically just means ensuring that your leadership is prepared to be cheerleaders, supporters, funders, uh, and users of the system or other changes that you're putting into place. Second, you need to determine who needs to know about this and be communicated with about it, what the messages should be, and when and through what mechanisms. And then third, you need to make sure that you're training the right people at the right time and that you have the right support for them after you go live or after the change happens. So that's the framework. Define the change, identify the impacts, prepare for the impacts. So I'm gonna walk you through a specific example. The example we made up was um, Build Consulting, our company, moving from using spreadsheets to do time and expenses and invoices to a more formal uh, cloud-based time and expense system. Um, so that's the example that we're gonna work through. So our first step would be to define that change. Really being as specific about the change as you can is important. Basically, the change that's happening is we're replacing those spreadsheets, implementing a new time, expense, and invoicing system. To gain agreement, what we would do internally is discuss it among the partners and maybe some of the employees, vote on that change, and also consult with our staff, our subcontractors, our bookkeepers, et cetera, so they're clear on what's happening and when and what will be expected of them. For every change that you might think about implementing this this sharing and gaining agreement could look a little bit different, but that's the basics of it. So now we know what's changing, and now the important thing is to identify what the impacts are of those changes on specific groups or individuals. As a result of moving from spreadsheets to a formal time and expense system, we've identified a number of process areas that are gonna be affected. Time and expense entry, time and expense approval, invoicing, processing invoice payments, and then sending data to QuickBooks. In each of these areas, we have identified who is impacted, what that impact is, and whether it's a small or a big impact. And I know that's a ton of information to, to try to digest, but we're just gonna focus on one line of these processes just to show them as an example of the kind of detail that we put in here. So not only do, in this particular case, not only do partners have to use the new system for their own time and expenses and use it for time approval, but in fact, in this particular ex example, the partners had never done time approval before. So it's a new process and it's a new policy. So it's important that we not only think about, well, they have to know how to do it, but we also need to set a policy and a process that says when it's going to happen, when time approval is going to happen, what the expectations are for how they evaluate employee time, et cetera. So it has a business impact beyond just the system changing. So then once we've identified those process areas, those impacts, and who's affected and how, we can then create strategies for addressing those impacts. Now, the entire version of this grid would be probably 10 to 12 rows long. I've, we've sort of condensed it down here. And again, we're gonna focus just on one line um, to show you how we would work through this, um, 
creating strategies to address this impact. So again, the impact is to the partners and the fact that they have new time approval process and system. And it will highly impact them because it's something new they have to do every week. So, and then there's five areas where we've identified strategies to address the impact. So there's a job impact. The partner's job description now has to include that time approval process, which it didn't have to include before. We would provide to the partners actually weekly progress updates that would happen weekly for 15 minutes or 30 minutes, depending on what was necessary. Uh, and that might happen a little less often for employees or for other folks that are our stakeholders. We know that the partners are going to work require training on the application, as well as training and education on the new policy that's going to be in place. And then finally, we want to make sure, because they're a highly impacted stakeholder, we want to make sure that at least one partner is involved in the process design and testing the system to make sure that we've implemented that functionality properly and that their voice is heard. So that evaluation we just went through, and I realized we went through it extremely quickly. But if you go through that same process for all of the impacts and all of the stakeholders who are affected, what you have at the end of it is the ability to create a plan in each of those five areas. You can create a stakeholder involvement plan that will tell you who should be involved in the project and in what way. You'll be able to ensure that changes to jobs and processes and policies are both accommodated and documented. You'll, you will know what you need from leaders and you'll know how to get them activated in their role at the right time. You'll be able to come up with a communication plan that, so you know when to communicate with folks and when, and you'll be prepared for the right kind of training and the right kind of support for the folks in your organization. Our hope is that these tools that we've described here and we realize that we've flown through pretty quickly are gonna help you make your projects more successful. Include a template of the grid um, that you can actually take and use in any way you want and take it and apply it to the next change that you might have at your organization that you wanna use. Great, very interesting. We have a number of questions. So the first question is sort of just asking for a little bit more clarification on the differences between step one and step three, you know, defining the change and preparing for impact. Sure. Um, defining the change, I tend to think about it explaining about what that change is, what is coming down the road. Uh, in, in the example that we gave, it's, you know what, we're replacing this system, you know, a system of spreadsheets with a more formal system for doing time and expenses. That's going to impact not only employee time and expenses, time approval, how we do invoicing, how we do payments, and how we account for, the, do our financial accounting. So that's more of a broad statement, as specific as it can be to make sure that people understand the nature of that change. The second step is really about saying, okay, we're going to take away the spreadsheets and we're going to put in place this new system. In what ways does that impact people? For some people, it's a small impact. Um, for our accountant, for instance, might be getting the data in a little bit of a different format, but essentially their job is staying the same. For a partner or an employee, they're using a brand new system um, to do time and expenses and some form of project management. And then the strategies themselves are the things you do to address those impacts. So training, as an example, is a, uh, is a strategy to address the fact that people need to know how to use um, that system. Communication plan is a strategy to make sure that 
you don't start off the project, go three months where no one hears anything. And when people don't hear anything, a vacuum basically creates a lot of paranoia. People make up their own stories about what's happening. So what's a reasonable way to communicate with the right folks at the right time to make sure they know what's coming down the pike, how it's going to affect them, et cetera. Does that, I hope that helps clear it up a little bit. Yeah, I think so. And it's a great question though. And I think it's an issue that happens uh, pretty frequently with, with software applications. And so mm-hmm. um, this organization has, um, well, they, they say fought with whether or not to update their fundraising software, mostly because of unrealistic expectations about what the program should be doing, you know, versus what it actually does. And so the question is, are there communication guidelines during this process to address that disconnect between the expectations people have uh, and especially the, you know, unrealistic expectations people have around what software can do versus the reality of software limitations? Wow. Um, Within the context of change management, what we often find is that the first step of defining the change and being clear about what cha- what impacts that is going to have and getting that in front of people is an educational tool. And it starts to ask the kinds of questions that are, I think are implied in, your, in, your, in the question that that person asked. So as an example, in almost all cases, if folks aren't using the system that they have to do fundraising and they just refuse to use it, putting in a brand new system generally doesn't get them any closer to that goal because the change is much more about what is the process that we have in place? How do we work together? What are my expectations? All of those kinds of things contribute to the success of a fundraising program and the ability of technology to leverage it. The more clear you are, on what change is happening, and implicit in that is what change is not happening. So if your team does not, if your fundraising team does not have a strong process in place to manage prospects, as an example, new systems won't do anything better for them than the old systems did. The truth is you can raise money using index cards. It'll take a while, but the essence of major gift fundraising you could do without a technology system, although it's made better. So it is a universal problem in in everywhere probably but certainly in nonprofit organizations. Yeah, I think it's a universal problem. Um yeah. certainly exacerbated when an organization um has complex tasks and workflows and collaboration that needs to happen. Yep. Exactly. Um so here's here's the next one. Um so this is an organization that's designing an internet for their grantees to submit documents and reports. Uh, So they would submit them through an internet instead of through email. How long do you think it will take? And this is an interesting one because in this case, they're talking about external stakeholders, external users. Um, What's your sense for how long it takes people to adopt or feel comfortable with new processes, both internally and externally? You know, there's so many variables in there, um, and a lot of it depends, I think, on the, in- the incentive system that is put behind whatever the change is. So if you look at that particular example, um, using the 
using an internet to collect grantee reports. From the grantee side, if you all have a, a policy in place that basically says, we better see that last report or your last check not going out the door, I can guarantee you that process will be, will be adopted immediately. If on the other hand, internally, there's steps that have to be taken that move from email to internet, and there's nothing, there's no support for making sure that that person has the right incentives, the right training not to return back to the old way of doing things. If folks are properly prepared and have the, the incentive and are managed to adopt the new system, generally speaking, we find that to be that happens reasonably quickly. And again, obviously more complex processes take a lot more time. Um, but I think the difference between the grantee's incentive and the staff person's incentive is instructive of how important it is to build that consideration into the processes that you put in place. If I have absolutely no incentive to put my time into the time system, I'm probably not gonna do it. Now, my other partners would get mad at me and we wouldn't be able to invoice clients, we wouldn't get paid and I wouldn't get paid. So I've got a great incentive to actually adopt that new policy and to approve everybody's time very quickly because we want to get we want to get those invoices out the door. A combination of good and appropriate training and good and appropriate incentives, whether they be sticks or carrots, are um, is probably the key to getting um, those processes adopted more quickly. This question is about any advice you have for implementing steps after the change has occurred. So the project, you know, the, the, the software, the, the, the IT has been rolled out, um, but change management wasn't followed during that process. The project hasn't failed, the software is still being used, but it hasn't been nearly as impactful as it should be. What's, mm -hmm. what's kind of like, you know, ex post facto, the best way to go back and do change management? You know, it's a, gr it's a great question. Um, in some ways, I think doing this same, you could do this same exercise, right? I mean, at this point, you'd probably, in fact, be able to answer these questions better because the impacts are going to be obvious or more obvious anyway, right? So doing a, a post-mortem impact evaluation Interview, perhaps interviewing those folks, gathering information in a way that you can get a sense of where the disconnect was. There's no reason that these strategies can't be applied, even though you've already gone live. If the problem was that perhaps a process was not particularly well thought through, let's think through the process. If we need to make some adjustments in how the system is configured, that's fine. And then roll out some supplemental training. Um, if they just feel lost in the, in the software and just don't feel like they know what to do, then perhaps arranging from some additional support, some additional folks who can sit by them while they work and help them through that or having a, you know, a help desk that they can call into for questions and encouraging that. I don't think any of these are limited to the scenario where you've implemented the perfect change management framework from the beginning. I think it's always inevitable that you'll get into the implementation, even if or that you'll get to go live, even if you did it well, and you'll find 
some things you didn't anticipate, perhaps some things that just didn't get executed as well as they could have. No reason we can't go back, take a second bite at the apple and see if we can make it better the second time. Great. Well, I think that's encouraging because I think many of us have experienced that um, and would love to have a second bite at the apple when it comes to implementing uh, technology solutions. So we have time for one last question. Another great one. And I want to thank everyone for, for the great questions today. So this is a question about communication. So what communication Mm. approach works well in two different scenarios? And oftentimes these scenarios go together. One where the organization lacks leadership experience or leadership experience, experience from a leadership standpoint with project methods. So an mm-hmm. organization where the, the leadership isn't necessarily accustomed to a project management approach. And then two, organizations where end users are siloed in their departments and not really communicating. How do you, I guess, for an organization-wide initiative, how do you yeah. overcome those two challenges? Or specifically, what communication approach helps you to overcome those two challenges. If, if you go through this framework and you say, we're implementing this new system that does X and it's going to affect department one, department two, department three, in sort of similar ways, maybe with some differences, but let's say in sort of similar ways, they're going to be using a lot of the same functionality, but they're all sitting in their own silos. That is something that will speci- should specifically come out of this evaluation. And it should drive the project to be the example to the organization of how you start to do collaboration. So when we run or when we support, we don't run implementation projects, but when we su- support implementation projects or when we do system selections, this is frequently the case. There's a lot of different parts of different organizations that do relationship management of different kinds that overlap in a lot of different ways. And what we insist on is that when we are defining either what the system that we're going to choose has to do, or when we're implementing particular functionality, each of those departments has to have a representative at the table as we're doing the selection, the design, the training, whatever the case may be. And what we find often is that these projects can serve as a template for the organization about how collaboration is supposed to work. And I can't tell you the number of times where people have said to us, this is the first time we've ever been in the same room together. I had no idea that 75% of what they do is actually similar to what I do. And that isn't to say that can't be uncomfortable sometimes because people have competing priorities and those have to be worked through. But using your project as an opportunity to model the behavior that you want the entire organization to engage in is a step in that direction. One of the communication techniques that we try to use is as we're moving into these either selection or implementation or just change projects, if we want to break down the silos, we have to start using language that is not siloed. And so we try to be really careful and thoughtful about making sure that when we're talking about the project, we aren't putting people into silos. We'd rather talk about the relationship management example I gave as, you know what, this is gonna be an organization-wide relationship management tool. And it's gonna be um, impactful for this group and that group and this group. And 
it's a it's a collective approach as opposed to saying, you know what, next next we're going to go live with you know the development department next week, and then after that it's going to be the legal department, and then after that it's going to be the partnership department. Uh, obviously, some of that may be true, but thinking about crafting language that doesn't reinforce the silos is another way to use communication to actually break down those barriers. Got it. And we have some clarification. Um, Excellent. So this is a situation where the leadership is their role is as the champion of the project, but maybe they're not familiar with IT project models. They're not, maybe they're in full support of rolling out this new solution. And they're sort of, for that reason, are the, are the ones charged with communicating with the organization, but they aren't, you know, they don't have a lot of experience with IT projects. I got it. So that, thank you so much for the clarification. And um, I, I think the, sh- the short answer is that in general, your leadership shouldn't be talking to your organization about IT models and about project management methodology and about the technical aspects of the project, right? Their job is to champion that change as a business change. It's not you know what, we're using agile methodology to roll out a brand new CRM platform on, on Salesforce, and we're going to be accessing APIs, et cetera, et cetera. All of that stuff is true. And for certain audiences, it makes sense. What the leadership needs to talk to is, here's the reason we're making this change. Here's the problem it's solving. Here's how we're solving it. With minimal technical or methodology references. It's about the the business of the organization, and that's what your leaders should focus on. Communicate to people, again, going back to the example of how you sort of talk about defining the change. Speaking to people in terms they understand because it is about the business that they care about. It's about the organization that they care about. And in fact, defining that change and defining the impacts can feed into if you set up that person with a PowerPoint, with some talking points or just some bullet points that they can use, depending on what their style of communication is, but helping script them about what those business changes, business impacts, business benefits are from the change that's undertaking. Because if it's truly only a technical project, if you're taking one server and swapping it out for another, if you're trading one cloud hosting provider for another, chances are most people don't need to know about that part of the organization. And that's not much of a change management effort likely, uh, an organizational change management effort. If it involves the business and involves people changing their behaviors, we need to talk to them in their language because they don't care about IT methodologies. They don't care about, for the most part, about technical architecture or other pieces like that. So I hope that's helpful. Very helpful. Yeah, that, that was a great clarification. Great question. And I think that's a, a your answer, Peter. I think is um, provides a lot of assurance for leadership that they don't have to be IT experts, and that in fact they could probably add more value to this process by not being IT experts, but by connecting the dots to the business needs, you know, and communicating exactly. uh, the, those business needs to their staff. So that's very helpful. Yeah, we we get people telling us all, leadership in particular telling us all the time. I'm not an IT guy. I leave that to those folks, right? Mm-hmm. 
we don't want you to be an IT guy. You'd probably be a bad IT guy. <laughs> we want you to be a business guy or girl or gal. Yeah. Um, that's your job is to tell us how you want to run your business. And then we'll figure out how to make the technology accelerate that process. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you, Peter. I appreciate you taking the time to answer absolutely. that last, to answer that last question. And very much appreciate your time today and sharing this framework with us. Uh, it was very interesting and something that I know is, uh, is very pertinent you know, to nonprofit organizations. So appreciate well, it. I hope it was helpful. And I, um, I hope the template for the change impact will be helpful to folks as well. Yep. Great. We'll have a great afternoon. Thanks, everybody. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.